Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies. TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I like trains. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Infinity Train. And to answer your question, I am doing very well because we just watched this amazing show, the first season, and now we will talk about it episode yes. by episode and share our thoughts, feelings, opinions vibes takes uh, opinions i think i said that twice <laughs> yes you did say opinions twice okay that is today's topic infinity train book one a fantastic series that if you are not watching it you should all be watching it go stream it on hbo max right now do it just do it you should actually probably do it before you listen to this because this is gonna have spoilers but um, and watch babylon 5 also because that's on hbo max now what do you want, you moon-faced assassin of joy? Well, you should watch Infinity Train first, because it's shorter. Yes. And we have more of a chance of that getting brought back to the fandom, because unfortunately, on this same day that we're recording, some news came out that it looks like the show might be canceled. That sucks. Sucks, especially because the last season ended on a cliffhanger, but... You can blame it on me. I watched it, and then the show got canceled. <laughs> so really, I'm the bad luck here. Man, fuck the... You know, forget the Cartoon Network executives who want to pivot to preschool programming for some reason. Clearly, you're the real problem. <laughs> yeah. So the very first episode is The Grid Car, and it premiered August 5th, 2019. And it's about 12-year-old Tulip Olsen, who aspires to be a video game designer and has a strained relationship with her divorced parents. That comes back later. Uh, yes, she it plans does. to go to game design camp in Oshkosh. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. But due to a scheduling mix-up, her parents are unable to take her there. Now, upset, Tulip runs away from home and encounters a train that sucks her inside, and she's now stuck inside this weird sci-fi fantasy yeah. horror infinite train thing called Infinity Train, which it really strikes me. 
that this is basically a child-friendly version of Cube and the movie Snowpiercer, <laughs> and both of their concepts mixed together, but wholesome. Uh, and yeah. th- that that's very bizarre to me, because in the movie Cube, that's also about a strange device or artifact that these people are stuck in that also rearranges itself. And Snowpiercer, of course, is a story about a bunch of people stuck inside a train, and it's a socio-political commentary, because of course it is. It's directed by Bong Joon-ho. But regardless, we're talking about Infinity Train, not those two movies. Yeah. I want to say right off the bat, I freaking love Tulip. Tulip is great. She's such a great main character. Ashley Johnson, who does the voice, she's a fantastic voice actress. This is one of her best performances, and her character is just... I relate a lot to her, because I am... Well, I don't remember most of what happened with my parents' divorce because it happened when I was a lot younger. Like, I was three when my parents Mm -hmm. got divorced. But I relate to a lot of the, like, the scheduling thing is like, yeah, relatable AF. And I love how the first thing she does after she gets, well, because first of all, so she gets on the train and she just does not question it. She just sees, because she decides to run away and just walk to Wisconsin, which is 300 miles from where she lives. So, you know bad idea she she gets on this train that just says oshkosh out of nowhere and is completely fine with it and then when she wakes up she is just immediately all like oh i decided i was just gonna fall asleep on the field and dream about outdated modes of transportation <laughs> and she's in a snowy field filled with snowmen and meets yeah. the robot one one and one one is I amazing because one half of one one is very chipper and excited and British, and the other half of one one is very depressed and downbeat and Eeyore-ish. Yeah, they yeah they're named Glad One and Sad One. And... Yes, and I love Sad One. Yeah, fun fact: Sad One is voiced by the series creator Owen Dennis. He has the best jokes. Yeah, he has the, he has the best joke. I also like the the bit where he goes on the nurture about the nurturing bagel. That's fun. Yes. And and one of my favorite is they is the giant snowman and Tulip is just like North St. Paul kids probably made this. So she discovers she's on a train and that this is just one of its cars that she's in yeah. and she has a, a mysterious number on her hand. And Tulip and One One enter the next car, which consists of a grid that creates numerous cubes. Yeah, it creates these sort of Lego slash Minecraft-esque little brick type thing. Right. Tulip discovers the number 115 on her hand, and after witnessing someone getting taken out of another train's car into a tube of light from the sky, she tries to escape from the train. But she can't, because on the ground, the outside, she encounters a dog slash cockroach monsters that attack her. Yeah, um, they're called gomes. uh, Gomes, yes. And now she and one one escape and then resolve to find the train's conductor. And that's the end of the first episode. I also like the bit where one one starts humming the Benny Hill theme and he's like, I made it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Now, I think this is a very good introduction to all the characters. I really love One One, and I love uh, Tulip Olsen and her introduction, and I like how she's just thrown into this situation. And it's a very weird first episode because it doesn't explain what's going on to the audience. This is a mystery show, and it very <laughs> much leans to the idea of we're just going to throw you into the situation and you're going to have to figure the rest out on your own. It also breaks a lot of typical rules for animation because if you listen to the commentary on the DVD, Owen Dennis talks about like, yeah, so I heard one of the big rules of animation is you never have your characters cry in the first episode, so I just had to cry. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's somewhat of a non-traditional first episode in a lot of ways, but I think it really works and it really gets you intrigued. And I think it kind of 
It also helps that this initially aired as like a five night event with like two episodes per night. So immediately after episode one, you would be watching episode two. So it works in that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So in the second episode, the beach car. Yeah, the uh, beach car. Open... I like. Yeah. So this. Uh, so beach car opens with something I really like about Infinity Train. Well, this. Well, both this book and just the series in general is how it. They make it clear that time passes off screen, and like there are a lot of other cars that we only get like a glimpse of. So like in yes. this episode, it opens with like a crossword car. And she's mm -hmm. in like this giant mech doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I love that yeah. scene. And Tulip notices the number on her hand after she gets out of that one is down to 114. So one one then tells her that when she gets to zero, she'll be gone forever, which is of course foreshadowing to the fact that when she gets to zero, the exit will open up for her. Yeah. Um, and I have a question. Considering some later revelations about uh the person that's actually running the train and how she's covered in numbers do the numbers have some sort of like cosmic karmic significance how bad of a person you've been or well, something yeah because <laughs> and they they sort of go into this more in depth in book two but to try and summarize it without spoiling any of book two the do the train when you get on when you get on the train the train sort of figures out where your pro where your personal problems are at and mm -hmm. assigns you a number accordingly to and you know to work that down to zero yeah so it's like a a chamber to sort of force um you know character growth in a way yeah it almost has kind of like a buddhist sense to it like you know you have to strip away the problem so then you can reach enlightenment basically or yeah. maybe i'm reading too much into that but i don't know it's, it's kind of it's it, you know you're not you're 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 not off you're not off base there um yeah. we also get the first appearance of randall yes and uh, and the cat both fan favorite characters uh we get introduced to the donut holder the is, donut holder yeah I love <laughs> which is just holder. a pipe i love it i, I love also love how the my randall is kind of one of the best characters because he is impervious to any kind of pain, not just physical pain, but like emotional pain. He is like yeah. completely unflappable. And the cat is, even as the cat is trying to convince him to join a, a pyramid scheme or, or a pyramid team rather, <laughs> he's, he's just like, okay. Yeah, uh, I like how the cat is also just, he doesn't have a name, it's just the cat. The cat, yes. And when the cat mentions that she knows the conductor, Tulip asks her for help. And the cat reveals that one one does not know anything about the number in her hand and that she will take him in exchange for getting a message to the conductor now tulip helps the cat fix her personal shuttle and cat leaves with one one and now tulip you know feels remorse for letting yeah, one she feels one go. really guilty about it mm -hmm. oh and she she talks to she talks to randall um, yeah. i love how because they go to this like little town and everyone in the town is just randall yes. which is great <laughs> and she talks to all the multiple randalls about her problems and th so eventually the randalls all help her get him back i'd let yeah. randall slip in the cracks randall um. yeah <laughs> and then they have a chase scene yes. on the train yeah they have a chase scene on top of the train and tulip rescues one one and the cat vows revenge and escapes because you know the cat wanted one one to give back to the conductor for reasons that will be explored later now Tulip apologizes to One One, who forgives her, and that's a very nice scene. I really love One One 
uh, both the glad side and the sad side. I think they're very funny characters. Um, so next up is one of my favorites is the Corgi car. The Corgi car. Yeah, I love the Corgi car. Um, this is basically a remake of the original Infinity Train pilot, which uh, came out in uh, 2016, about like three years before the actual show came out. Um, but there are some changes, namely a few jokes that were cut from the pilot that they added to this. And of course, Tulip's uh, redesign from the pilot to the series itself, because in the yeah. pilot, she has like much bigger glasses and things like that. So a week has kind of gone yeah, by. Yeah, so it's been a week since she's been on the train and she's mm -hmm. kind of got like a rhythm going where she's she's actively having like one one time her to like get through cars. And we, and we have a whole montage of like a bunch of different cars. Like, there's the cross-eyed ducks car, there's the monster dance car, yeah. there's, like, this, um, there's this ancient temple where she, where they do this, like, the whole Indiana Jones bit with the boulder, and she passes, like, the skeleton guy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. You're telling uh, me I'm dead! <laughs> and the whole time, she's really concerned about her number, because, of course, she is into computer science, and she's very logical, and she's trying to figure out how this train works, and why her number is going down or why it's not going down, and it's yeah. stuck on 109, and that's really upsetting her. And they rush through a number of cars before ending up in Corginia, the kingdom of the corgis. The kingdom of the corgis, where they meet what might be one of the, what might be, who might be my favorite character, Atticus, King Atticus, uniter of the cardigans and the Pembroke. Yes. I fucking love Atticus so much. Uh, he's voiced by Ernie Hudson. Of Ghostbusters fame. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Ernie Hudson. Um, wow. And he is, yeah. And once, and once you know it, you can't unhear it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so he's the king of Corginia, and he has all these really funny jokes about like, uh, it's a lot of dog humor. There's a lot like, of really good dog jokes both in this episode and throughout the entire rest of the season with Atticus. So Corginia is basically a dog utopia. And they have like you know like belly rub machines and yes. these dedicated sunbeams and stuff like that. It's basically what would happen if dogs were an advanced civilization. Yes, exactly. And but things are not quite are not quite perfect because there appears to be this monster that that like floods the town. A large every... tentacle ma shadow monster. Yes. Yeah. And Atticus tells Tulip in one one that the shadow is a monster that has been terrorizing Corginia and causing the flooding for some time that they need to fix it and stop it. Now, they're kind of like, mm, should we help them? And then they're like, yeah, okay, we should probably help these people, even though Tulip probably, you know, just wants to go from car to car and doesn't. W she wants to escape, basically. Yeah. So every time she stops to help someone, she is, of course, in her mind, sacrificing something, showing that she is a very, you know, altruistic character. And I, that's why I really like her a lot. Now, yeah. I also really love the bit, the whole outside bit with Atticus. <laughs> outside? Yes. Didn't you want to go outside? Well, yes. Come on. You want to go outside? No. no, no, no maybe. Come on. Come on. You want to go outside? Yes. The door. I want to go outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really funny. And yeah. together the group travel across the landscape in the car until they find that the monster is just a spider being lit up by a small glowing ball. I thought victory would taste less musty. Because <laughs> yeah, cause the Atticus comes in, he eats the spider, and he's like, oh, that doesn't taste I good. have defeated the monster. Um, now, Tulip's number doesn't change now, and that, you know, is, again, frustrating for her. Yeah, because she doesn't, she just wants answers, and she doesn't know how anything works on the train, and she's just trying to figure out how this stupid train works so she can just go home. 
that's relatable. This also has some Matrix influences, I think, because when in the Matrix series, once they get out of the simulation, it's being run by these tentacled machine things, which are called Sentinels. And in this, it's kind of the same idea, but these are called Stewards, yeah, steward. which is a tentacled robot that is affecting the landscape and causing the flooding by accessing panels in the train and yeah, removing, removing glowing orbs balls from them. Because they power the train and like different orbs do different things to the environment and this monster, the stored, is collecting them for some reasons. For reasons. Um, do we find out what the reasons are in season two? Well, don't they go... I think... Well, because I think the idea is more... Kind of jumping ahead a little bit. I think the idea is the stored was collecting the orbs because the conductor wanted them. Oh, because she wanted to create her own, you know, reality. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Another really funny bit is the bit with the door where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the because they because they keep, you know, building up the unsolvable puzzle door throughout the episode. And then it's like, yeah, Maybe we can get out through the unsolvable puzzle door. Like, how do, how do we get through it? And Yannis is like, first, you put your paw on the handle. <laughs> then you turn it. Then you turn it. That's how all doors work. My people have been working on this technology for decades. <laughs> Good thumb humor. Now. The steward attacks the group, uh, but flees upon seeing 1-1, for reasons we don't find out about until later. And Atticus, uh, venges, Atticus promised that he will avenge his kingdom, so he goes with Tulip and the gang to try and track down why they were attacking his kingdom. And Tulip's number goes down to 101, but she still doesn't know why. And that's the end of the Corgi car. Which is great. Corgi car is uh, one of my favorites. Definitely, um, it's up there. So now we have the crystal car. Yeah, this is another one of. This is also one of my favorites. So the crystal car it opens with. All right, first of all, let's talk about the straight up Italy car, or <laughs> or or the Mediterranean Republic car, as Atticus calls it. Because this car, I know Owen Dennis said he doesn't want to show it because he wants to wants to, you know, leave it to people's imaginations. But I yeah. really want like some sort of like mid cool novel that's just the straight up Italy car because it's fascinating because it is literally just Italy but they're all plant people for some reason like we meet this woman Nancy who's like a humanoid rose woman who has like a rose stem body and a little rose blossom for a head and apparently she wants to like open a restaurant and she's like become progressively better at like pasta making and there was this like <laughs> mean grandmother who still was stealing coins from the fountain it's like what is happening here i want to know so tulip atticus and one one enter a crystal forest car and find the exit door high up on the side of the mountain Yes. And a crystal man appears and tries to communicate with them. And he's sort of like this rock crystal monster, almost like he's from like uh, the Never Ending Story or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's got he's got some rock biter vibes going on. Yeah. So he reveals that in order to get out the door, they apparently need to sing an emotional song. Yeah, because they for need this. to be able to summon because they because they need to summon a staircase because right yeah. And because there's an emotional stone that needs emotion from them in order to. Yeah. And Tulip is immediately, I love how Tulip is immediately like, yeah, I got this. Because she she understands the scientific method. She knows how this stuff works. And so the first thing she does is she sings a parody of My Heart Will Go On. And (laughs) it's like, it's about a Zeppelin disaster. Yeah, this guy and a girl meet on a Zeppelin. And then then the guy dies when the Zeppelin blows up. (laughs) I love her delivery of that line. It's so good. It's so good. And she goes through all these other songs, which You're are like, all... I hope you choke on a love, and even my pickup misses your face. 
<laughs> and and then... my favorite part about that is um so Ashley Johnson, who as as we mentioned is Tulip's voice, um, she's actually a really good singer in real life. But one of the things they decided on with Tulip's character is that she's kind of like a mid-tier, you'd listen to her at karaoke again kind of singer. Yeah. So like it's her deliberately sounding not as good as she can be. <laughs> which I find fun. Yeah. And I, there were points where I was like, wait, she's hitting some of these notes. So I, I recognize that she was deliberately not hitting the notes. Yeah. So Tulip, uh, so what happens is she eventually finds out. Yeah. Oh, I also really like the bit with where Atticus, where, because Atticus is constantly trying to, you know, get Tulip to be patient about it. And he's just, and at one point, Tulip is just like, you suggest we sleep on things a lot. I have a dog. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And now Tulip realizes that she has to sing a song that's emotional to her in order to conjure the staircase. And then she thinks of Word Up by Cameo. Word Up by Cameo. Oh, I want to tell the story about this. Okay, so first of all, uh, production-wise, this came about basically because their original plan was they were thinking they would have to, like, insert some, like, really emotional song that they would have to, like, write out. And at various points of production people were like it would be really funny if it was word up and then they just put it in (laughs) and the other thing is so when i first watched this i did not know that was a real world song that like existed oh yeah Um, and how i found out about it was when i did my simpsons binge um there's a later episode and i want to say around like season 15 or 16 something like that sometime in the teens um uh, or was it 17? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyways. Um, but it's like it's like Lisa is in like a crossword competition and there's a montage where they play word up. And I was watching, it was like, this wait a minute, I've heard this song before. And then suddenly the the you know, it clicked in my brain. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> you didn't know Word Up was a real song? I did not. I did not So know. <laughs> uh Todd in the Shadows did this great video on Word Up by Cameo in his one hit Wonderland uh series. And he is actually a funk artist that's been around since the 1980s. That only got big with Word Up and his incredibly nasal delivery and his cod pieces. Cameo is actually very interesting and you should all check out more of his music. And go watch that Todd in the Shadows video. But regardless, she sings Word Up by Cameo, and she's embarrassed about it until people start singing along with her, and then she starts, you know, really getting into it, affecting the nasal way of singing of Cameo. And a crystal giant appears and unlocks the door. Uh, she remembered it, of course, because it was from a car yeah, trip. Yeah, because they, sa- they sang it, her parents and her would sing it on road trips. Yeah. Right. So she gets through the door, and then she sees that her number on her hand has now gone down to 89. Yes. And she still doesn't know what that means. So the crystal car is awesome, and it's a really fun song, really fun episode with a great song and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I also really I... like. Um, I also really like Atticus's uh, "The Ballad of Mustard and Stinktail." Like, I, I would yes. be very interested in a full version of that. And I love Tulip's line right before uh, she sings "Word Up," where um, she has this whole thing about like the scientific Odyssey trials and stuff. <laughs> You know, this wouldn't win an award. Not even for best last-ditch effort. Yes, that is a real thing. Yes, I've auditioned to remove the category, and no, they didn't. 
What's the episode for best hype where they say the best hypothetical hypothesis? Yeah, this it's that episode. It's this episode. Yeah, yeah earlier on she says like they won an award for a best hypothetical hypo best hypothetically proven hypothesis. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the crystal car is great. It's kind of almost a little bit of a filler episode, but also you find out more stuff about Tulip. It's a nice little character development and you know, I like the bit where they're going through the songs and stuff. It's a fun time. Fun time. Yes. yes. So yeah. the next episode is the cat's car. Yes. So the gang witnesses the car switching and finds themselves in the cat's car. Yeah. Right after um, another car where they're like, we'll never forget you. Oh, what was that fellow's name again? I kind of already forgot. <laughs> so the cat claims that she wants to help them now. And as Tulip and her friends are about to leave, rejecting her offer because, you know, she tried to kidnap them before. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, former kidnapper. <laughs> she has a videotape with Tulip's name on it. And this is like, you know, every kid's show now has the this episode will make you cry episode. And, you know, which is usually high concept, psychological Steven Universe Future was basically all of those episodes. Yeah, more or less, yeah. And this is this series episode. I mean, Infinity that. Train, I feel like Infinity Train has a couple of those types of episodes, but this is definitely, Cat's Car is definitely, like, the first of, like, this is, like, that episode. That episode. She, uh, despite some reluctance from Atticus, Tulip watches the tape, and she finds herself transported into her own memories. Yeah. And... She starts to remember things falsely from how they actually were, like a trip to a dolphin sea world type place. And pyramid! <laughs> pyramid. And she remembers it being way better than it actually was. She's like, why did they shut down this place? A lot of her, like, quote-unquote happy memory, like, her memories are being altered to be, like, more over, like, very over-the-top happy. Yeah. And, like, like, so, like, there's a bit where her dad is sleeping on the couch, but her dad isn't there, and then it ends with them, like, she goes to, like, what, what was it the fucking like school for people who are too who are too brilliant for their own good and it's school for people who are brilliant and too creative for their own yeah good. too creative for their own good the she becomes the galactic president of game design and they have double onion <laughs> ice cream cake and everyone has sweaters that says that say family forever <laughs> And of course, this is her own repressed feelings about the outcome of her divorce. Yeah, apparently, um, funny thing is, apparently, when they were designing that, the like the artist was like, "How do I make this as over the top happy as possible? I'll just put family forever on all their sweaters." <laughs> <laughs> so, as she is, I think, in my opinion, consciously trying to misremember things in a more positive way, she is starting to be filled up with the static, which indicates that she might end up getting caught inside the tape forever. Yes. And when she starts re-remembering what actually happened, we get the story of how her parents used to argue a lot. And yeah, like how, like, you know, of, of her father crying her glasses, on the couch. Her father crying on the couch. But then there's another over-the-top, really bad memory of, like, mm -hmm. them, of her parents turning into demons as they, t as they tell her that they're getting divorced. Divorced 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 and everything's on fire and the, yeah and the room starts flooding with her tears and there's another flying demon in the background yes that is hilarious and i, I think it's very interesting because it shows the way that psychologically we categorize traumatic memories yeah. and bad memories into hyper specifics we and think of our childhood yeah. as all good or if something bad happened then it was one of the worst yeah, things and, ever. and they talk about yeah. they talk about this in the commentary but when you but if we're being honest when we're being honest with ourselves one of the worst things to happen is that when a memory just is where like yeah it's not 
the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. It just kind of exists. And that's like the hardest to deal with. And this show kind of confronts that where she has the real memory and they just have to, you know, tell her like, hey, things aren't working out between us. We're separating. And she can't really take that because like from her perspective, things have been fine. Like she doesn't entirely see what's been wrong and she sort of, you know, lashes out at them because like things were fine, but you decided it until you decided to change everything. And right. she, she even says like, that's definitely how it happened, but it doesn't make it like hurt any less. Right. Which, that is and some... she also sees her own behavior in a different light. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of, because a lot of this season, um, there's two major themes in book one, uh, the perennial child, as it is called. I don't know if we uh, addressed the full title yet. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's called The Perennial Child. Anyways, um, there's two major themes is that uh, dealing with change and empathy. And the thing, and this is Tulip's first step in empathizing with her parent side of the situation. Because we see yeah. back in episode one, she is very much like not seeing their point of view and being like, you know, how could you mess this up? You know, I'm, it's, it's one kid, you're two people, you know, and she's lashing out at them and we see her lashing out at them here and this is the first time she started seeing maybe I'm not in the right on this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really interesting. And there's so much character development and for only about 10 minutes. And it's really uh, fascinating and impressive that they were able to accomplish everything that they did with this character in this amount of time. Absolutely. Um, So Tulip relives her parents' divorce and awakens back in the car. And she basically deduces that the cat was trying to trap her. And she only was able to escape the tape because she accepted the bad memories as they were and not trying to put them at one end of the spectrum of good and bad to just simply accept. Yeah. And she chooses to ignore the number in her hand. Yeah, and also this is where we now. where we find out exactly what the number is because the cat explains mm-hmm. it like, oh, your number's going down. The train must think you're doing well. And Tulip just does not care. She's, she's like, so glad an inanimate object likes me. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's because she, on one hand, is obviously very frustrated with this whole, you know, infinity train thing. Yeah, because And on the other hand... Just like, I want to get off this stupid fucking train. <laughs> I think it's an outgrowth of her having to relive that. And she is, of course, now just mad that she was forced to do that at all. Yeah. Without, you know wanting to do it and after they leave the cat is confronted by the steward and the conductor who attack her for letting them go but she's like i can bring them to you and she makes a deal for them now the the cat's car is i think the best episode of the season one it might be it's it's definitely up there um there's uh it might be ball pit car for me though but we'll get to that later um Mm -hmm. Well, it's. I think it's the most psychologically. It's definitely the most psychologically. Yeah, it's and uh, yeah, and Katzgar is definitely very much up there. And again, as a child of divorced parents, some that which is another thing I really like about Tulip, because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, you generally didn't see characters whose parents were divorced. You saw yeah. w- you would see a lot of like just regular parents, and you would see a lot of like single parents where the other parent had died yeah generally you know the worst part is when there were divorced parents in media it's usually about them getting back together you know yeah and also yeah if if it happens at all yeah you know it'll be that and i like the fact that there is now a story of like yeah her parents are divorced and that just is 
Like, yeah. yeah, it's just that's just the situation, and it's not going to be conveniently tied up by some nonsense melodramatic thing of like, oh, they're gonna get back together or something like that. Yeah, or like which I always find really hokey, like the parrot trap. Yeah, I was gonna bring up the parrot <laughs> trap. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I sure. If if that's your deal, if you like those types of stories, but they they read unrealistic. Yeah, and and when you are a child of divorced parents, and that's like, and you know for a fact that your parents should not get back together. Yeah, having those be the only kind of stories that are out there is very frustrating. <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah, it yeah. is. One hundred percent, it is, and it's so it's nice to have a story like this that feels more authentic to the scenario. Yes. So the next episode is the unfinished car. Yeah. Um, so after so a we... brief stop in the spa car where Atticus gets all floofy. Um... And he does not understand the human's way <laughs> of relaxing. Yes. Um, uh, they, they go into visit a very... turtle kingdom. Yeah, this very wonky car where everything is just a little bit weird. Like there are buildings that are upside down. There are ones that don't have walls. There are turtles in it. For some reason, it's a turtle kingdom yeah. run by King Aloysius the Third. Uh, and one of my Aloysius favorite things, yeah, is when they when they salute, they they push yeah, out they, their they, their necks. Yeah, they push their necks forward, um. which is actually something in turtle behavior. When a turtle is accepting or open to you, they will stretch out their head because oh. then they're not afraid of you. Cool. Um, yeah. So they live in a city of logic-defying houses without walls, and I like the really funny line to me where they're like what your houses don't have open walls how do you get the fresh air no my, my favorite is the is the mail that gets delivered by the wind so like there's this big hole in the ground yes and the mail lady <laughs> just dumps the dumps all the mail in the hole and the wind tastes like no no, no sad faces but empty mailboxes in this kingdom <laughs> yeah and they have jam on the road because turtles are slow to get the turtle businessmen from one side of no, the road to the other no what's funny what what is funny to me about this is so everyone immediately made the connection of traffic jam for, yeah. the, for the for the jam but apparently that was completely unintentional because they were like we just needed something that like because the creator started about like we 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 originally it was pudding and like we, we just changed that we we had to change the color because it didn't look right and so we made yeah. jam. <laughs> i mean if, yeah if they were sliding around in a bunch of white stuff that probably wouldn't look right <laughs> oh uh, oh no i didn't even think of it like that oh well, that's you? probably what they were thinking about <laughs> I, yeah. I thought it was just like a coloring issue like jesus um well it depends on what color the pudding was yeah or if it was brown that'd also be bad yeah that brown would uh, probably also be bad yeah anyways one one insists that the car is unfinished and that he really needs to do something about it and he has like this crazy ocd about trying to you know fix the car and stuff like that and try and build up the walls where they've been torn down um and it seems like almost there's a drive inside his mechanics that's like overtaking him and so Tulip and One One uh, get to work trying to repair the car, but the residents are unhappy with the sudden changes. And meanwhile, yeah, because like they Atticus, dry up the jam, and like how do we, how do we get around? And you know, they they board up the hole. Now nobody gets mail anymore. And yeah, and Atticus is uh, basically playing diplomat with the other royalty, the king of the turtles, yes. Aloysius. Aloysius, uh, and yeah. they they have a very fun dynamic. I like the turtle versus dog thing. Yes. Uh, so, one one begins dismantling the car by removing the orbs from their panels, which causes everything to float. 
Yeah. Uh, and Tulip rushes to 1 1 and explains that this was not his fault and that he does not need to take responsibility yeah. for, you know, screwing everything and that up. Ju- because and that, he is, you know, just blaming sad. himself is, yeah. you know, going to create more problems. Parallels. <laughs> yes. And Sad One seems to have, like, something must have happened to Sad One, which I'm not sure what it was, but he definitely blames himself for something bad that happened which may be or may not be explored in the sequel series i don't know well it's um, um it, it's sort of implied about a. well once you once we you know who one one really is you can kind of sort of piece it together yeah okay yeah yeah so one one resets everything as atticus and aloysius agree on an alliance between their kingdoms and i want to see the turtle dog game of thrones uh oh. personally <laughs> I, I, I want to see their, their political wranglings. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, and as the gang leaves, 1-1 glitches and loses his memories from the event. Uh, and that's how the episode ends. And the unfinished car is really fun, and I really love the turtle stuff, and I like the gravity stuff, and I think it's a lot of fun. I, I'm still kind of curious as to why 1-1 was feeling so down and out in this episode. But besides that, I think yeah, everything about I think, it works. Um, yeah, it's... I've, I've been, I'm curious about that too. I think it sort of ties into One One's true identity, which we can we can talk about when that reveal comes up in that episode. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the unfinished car is fun, and I really like you know the parallels between Tulip struggles and One One struggles, and you know Atticus, you know being with the Royals and all that. Good episode. And next up is a big personal favorite of mine, and I know a lot of other fans. The chrome, the chrome car. car. Um, so. so you've probably never heard of this writer, um, but he wrote a lot of stuff for Doctor Who. Uh, well, well, hold on a sec. Let me find his name. Sure. So writer. Uh, no, no, Doctor Who. <laughs> I'll cut Riveting. this out. <laughs> so Robert Sherman is a British author that wrote one episode of Doctor Who. Uh, Dalek, and he also wrote a bunch of Doctor Who audio dramas, and he has a short story collection. He writes these amazing pieces of speculative fiction, and the Chrome Car really feels Sherman-y to me, and that's a reference that probably nobody else is going to relate to. Yeah, no one's going to get that, but okay. (laughs) But I say it anyway, because I am, of course, as the hipster, playing a clout game with my references. Uh... So the gang enters a chrome car. Yeah, after the after a brief visit to the jelly bean car, and, they, yes. and we see the aftermath of the jelly bean. Car. Everything is chrome in Every, the future. I literally wrote that in my notes. Everything yeah. is chrome in the future. Um, and every surface is reflected. Yeah, and I when like Tulip the, discovers. I love the, the bit ex- they do with Atticus's reflection. <laughs> yes, and he keeps barking at it. Yes. Um, yeah, it's so good. So, Tulip discovers that the exit is locked, and she notices her reflection, Mirror Tulip, is acting independently. So, the way that this works is that they are in a train car where your mirror version of yourself, not necessarily meaning, like, your mirror personality, but, but like, like, your, your personality, literal reflection. Your, like, your literal reflection, if they had always existed and had a consciousness. Which is, when you think about it, is kind of horrifying, because especially yes. as they as we'll get into in a little bit later in the episode, um, basically reflections and it, and they go more in depth to this in book two because also um, we should mention that this episode is kind of the start of an infinity train tradition, an infinity train tradition, if you will, 
of mm-hmm. the protagonist of the next season being introduced in one episode of the prior season because Mira oh. Tulip is the main character in book two. I see. Yeah. So they go into her, uh, the you know, the lore behind Reflections and stuff a bit more in book two. But even within this episode, it's established that Reflections can basically only exist to reflect their prime, despite the fact that they have a consciousness and sentience of their own. Yeah. And that's horrifying. Now, uh, so the mirror Tulip uh, tells her that they need to switch places in order to unlock the door. And they do so, but rather than helping, Mir Tulip wants to escape and control to, her own know, life. Explore and be the world on her own because you know right. she doesn't she, she doesn't have to eat her, eat your stupid onions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one one's reflection contacts the reflection police, and I love the design of the reflection. Oh police. yeah, the they're flex. Like, yeah, reflection. They're like something out of like a a pulpy sci-fi noir comic from the sixties. Oh, I was gonna say more seventies, but yeah. Um, and they just look fantastic it's like chrome blade runner yeah uh, i also really love how uh mirror atticus is like always scared like it's basically <laughs> my first day i've only been reflected in the room before and he keeps barking at me <laughs> yeah so uh ben mendelson plays one of the reflective yeah police. ben mendelson i th- the amount of high profile guest stars they got for this show and and future seasons astounds me because ben mendelson is in it as ernie hudson as atticus lena hetty is in it later on and oh. it's like Bradley god Whitford damn is, is the this other where police. all the budget went like, maybe how much of the so, budget was spent on these guys <laughs> so the flex go to try and capture mirror tulip and grind her into dust and of course tulip being a good person is like, like you, you, you can't you murder can't people her. I thought we were just going like, to send her to jail or something. <laughs> so the Flex capture Tulip Prime, who's the real Tulip, and stick her in the back of their yeah. police squadron, and she escapes through picking the lock with her Swiss Army knife, which becomes important later yeah. uh, because it has a mirror on it. Yeah, beca- yeah, the multi-tool is an important part of the whole episode because earlier uh, she uses it to pick jelly beans out of Atticus's fur. Uh, yes, yeah. and evading them, Tulip and Mirror tulip discover that mirror tulip cannot leave the chrome car because there, are there no aren't reflective any reflective services, services outside on the outs- on the outside right. um i also love the flex uh skin suits yes they have to wear to enter the prime world and and uh, uh the all the references to the uh the buddy system <laughs> <laughs> what about the buddy what system, the buddy system? <laughs> so after convincing mirror tulip to switch back with her yeah, because cause... you know Tulip is like, hey, you know, I could try, I could get you freedom. Yeah, and Mirror if Tulip switch like, back. And I like how in this bit, Mirror Tulip kind of calls Tulip out on her own bullshit because Tulip yes. is like, you know, I can help you if you ask for help. It's like that. That's funny coming from you, because like you literally never ask for help and you're constantly ignoring. You're ignoring texts from your friends. You're ignoring your own mom. Like, right. You're bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tulip uses the mirror on her pocket knife to rescue her and allow her to escape into the same mirror dimension that she's in. And in the next, they escape, and in the next car, Mirror Tulip chooses to leave the group and discover herself on her own, set up for season two, apparently. Yeah, I also love, so they deliberately, when when, uh, they go into the next car, they deliberately designed this to be the most boring car you could possibly see first. Because it's literally, it's just a bank with with pencil <laughs> people. But Mirror Well, Tulip I think this is, like, is uh, 
I think this is a reference to the movie Eraserhead. Is it? <laughs> yeah, because in the movie Eraserhead, which is an experimental film by David Lynch, um, there is a scene where the main character, spoiler alert, gets his head decapitated, and then it gets sent to a pencil factory and is turned into the eraser tip of a pencil. Okay. <laughs> so this is my basic idea that this is some sort of an allusion to David Lynch's eraser. I mean, maybe. Um... Uh, and, and the specific scene with the, the pencil factory, which is the namesake of the film, which actually doesn't connect to anything else in Eraserhead, necessarily. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a thing about Eraserhead, but it might not be. Yeah, I, don't I also really like um, how, and again, like I said, it's they deliberately made it like the most boring car you could possibly see first, but Mirror Tulip is still super excited because it's just something else. Like, you think they'll let me open an account to get it to balance checkpoint? Like, oh, it's those little pens with, with the balls on them. I used to get the yeah. motion sick when I had to reflect on these. Yeah, it's great. I also, and... uh, fun fact, um, so they did a series of shorts in between book one and two called the Train Documentaries, which are on the book one yes. DVD if you have it. Highly recommend them. But before they uh, settled on the main idea for those shorts, uh, which is having like one one post them and talk about different cars, um, one of the original ideas they had for one of the shorts was just about one of these pencil people. Where it was like, it, her name was Marie, and she was trying to write a novel, but she couldn't hold a pen in her, like, <laughs> pencil arm, so she keeps dropping the pen, and she's trying to, like, write her manuscript, and there's a part of me that still wants to see that story. <laughs> yeah, and, hold on a second, I accidentally closed out. Oh. Okay, here we go. Okay. Yeah, and the episode's really great, and I love it. And she sees that her number goes down to three. And I'd say the Chrome Car is one of the most imaginative and fun episodes of season one. Yes. Uh, definitely up there with the Cat Car episode. But I still think the Cat Car episode might be a little bit better than the Chrome Car, just because yeah, I think I can, there's I can more see the going edge on. To the, the, the Cat's Car has more thematically and psychologically going on, to be fair. Or at least as far as the context of Tulip's story goes. If you yes. view, um, like, the Chrome Car as more of the introduction to Mirror Tulip's story and how that carries over into book two, you know, there is more thematically going on there. But, you know, we'll have to save that for when we uh, talk about so book Chris, two. So, Chris, what do you think of the Chrome Car? The Chrome Car is a really great episode. I love the introduction of Mirror Tulip. The whole mirror world is a lot of fun. There's some great bits, you know, about the nature of reflections, like, as we've mentioned, the bit with Atticus. And... It's a really, it's a really good episode and one of my personal favorites. Yeah. And the next episode is the ball pit car. Oh boy! Um, which has an emotional ringer at the end. This is the probably one of the biggest emotional gut punches of arguably any TV show ever, um, and we will get into why because I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, well, it's the dog does come back. It, well, later. I, it's true, but like. It, it at the moment it hits it's, i even on rewatch it still hits hard for me but. so the gang finds themselves in the ball pit car and of course since this episode has the emotionally devastating moment they cloak it in the most friendly episode yeah, setting they possibly it's can the, it's the mcdonald's play place <laughs> yes nothing so, bad could happen here <laughs> they meet a, a stuffed rabbit named khaki, khaki bottoms, bottoms voiced by uh ron, ron Funch. Uh, who you may know as King Shark from the Harley Quinn cartoon. Um, hey. 
So they help in navigating the jungle gym, and they see the steward is outside and attempt to escape its tentacles. Yeah, uh, so I love... And I love the ball pit and the different, like, stuff, and it gives me nostalgia, and, like, why, why don't adults go in ball pits I anymore? I wish that, and I granted, I, I can see why they don't do it now, because... Normalize adult ball pits. Obviously germs, but... I, oh, I think that there should be, like, bounce houses and ball pits and this kind of thing made for adults. Because yes. it's fun. This is universal fun. <laughs> so I, I think there's a, there's an untapped market here. I also like how this the beginning of this episode very much emphasizes Atticus and Tulip and one... Attic, well, especially Atticus and Tulip's uh, bond. Friendship. And friendship. Um mm -hmm. And, you know, he's like, I'm a good man. <laughs> After, uh, and I also really like how, as they're exploring the ball pit, you really see how Tulip has grown because she is willing to play along with the silly stuff. Whereas, yeah. you know, earlier in the season, she probably would have just tried to rush through it. Like, I don't care. I just want to get out of this car. Um, but here she's like, yeah, I'll do the like weird tic-tac-toe thing it's cool i've i've been around <laughs> i've been around this I've, I've played this game once or twice um i, I also think like this is also the episode where she realizes that if she comes home she probably won't, will be missing the camp and that she just wants to go home well yeah she well she's kind of known that for a little bit now like she's been under the assumption that game design camp is probably over by this point because she's yeah. been on the train for so long i also I love the the Lord of the Rings style music that plays throughout this sequence. Yeah, <laughs> like this epic it's very adventure epic. music, and then they finally like re like you know return the artifact, and and it's like and he's all like you know bravery of yours of your caliber must be must be recognized. Choose any jingle the jingling excellent choice. <laughs> So the steward is outside and attempts to, like, they attempt to escape, but the tentacles catch them, and there's a great moment yeah. where Atticus tries to attack the, the sentinel, the steward, sorry, and it ends up, you know, chasing him, and yeah. so the robotic-looking I... conductor approaches Tulip and tells her she was supposed to stay put, and yeah. then the cat appears, having upheld her end of a supposed bargain to be freed, and catch them, but the conductor tells her to chase one one while the steward fires on them. And now Atticus attacks the conductor yeah, and shoots so him with a I ray should, gun. I should mention this this episode, like as Atticus goes in to attack, has has one of my favorite lines in pr probably the whole show. Um, I didn't leave my kingdom on a crusade only to cower before my dragon. That is great. Holy fucking shit! Uh, so <laughs> he ends up the Atticus dies, or the the th the character of Atticus dies and gets turned into a monster. Yeah, it's kind of worse yeah. than death. Because he gets captured, um, and he turns to the camera, whimpers, and gets shot by the, the ray gun and turns into a gome. And It's very sad. God, this makes me cry every fucking time. I was a pretty upset until I realized that they were going to save him later, and then I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's uh. still, it still hurts. Like, that no. shit still hurted. And yeah. And what is especially, and they talked about this on the commentary when they were making this, like, oh, this one has an even number, so people are going to have to, like, sit with it for, like, a day and just yeah. think about I wonder how many kids watched this episode and were then like, Mommy, I don't want to go to McDonald's anymore. <laughs> Hopefully a lot, because, you know, nobody's playing in those fucking ball pits right now. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, granted, this so, came out in 2019, so it was... It's, it, yeah. It would still it's, been a safe bet, but... <laughs> it's a very emotional moment, and the conductor and the steward flee while blocking the exit as Atticus transforms into the dog roach monster yeah, the and attacks Tulip. Now, 1-1 arrives to help Tulip, and she manages to trap Atticus in a broken chute from the ball pit, and she catches her breath, and she begins to break down in tears, and 1-1's like, it's okay. It's okay to cry. And that's that's another, like, all moment. That's a very good moment. Yeah. So one one consoles her, and they all mourn their loss of a friend, and that's the end of the episode. And the ball pit car is very emotional. It is heartbreaking, until you realize that you know he's not going to stay dead. But even still, it works. Yeah, it's it, still. It's I feel like even though, moment. even if you know, because again, like I've rewatched this quite a few times, so you know, I obviously know he's going to come back. But it still, it still hurts to see to see it happen and to see his sacrifice. I feel, especially given, yeah. you know, the character development that Atticus has gone through throughout the whole mm -hmm. season um, up to this point and to see him, you know, and to, and to see that and, to, and, you know, to see him be turned into this monster, it's, it's heartbreaking, as you mentioned. So is it, so is Ball Pit Car your favorite episode of the season? It's definitely the biggest emotion, like, it's a, it's a, it's hard for me to determine because the, I really, well, I love the whole season. I feel like it's a toss up between ball pit car cat's car chrome car and like yeah pr pretty much those three those pretty much those three ball pit car cat's car chrome car yeah yeah so in the next episode the past car tulip continues to be upset over the death of atticus and understandably that, you know, so and she, she even... cannot continue and her number goes back up to 67 and the cat returns to tell Tulip that they can still oh, yeah, save I love Atticus. Her I love the cat's line because she's, she's stuck under one of the, the slide things. She's like, I'm mm -hmm. trapped beneath the weight of childhood escapism. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that they're going to do it is they get another memory tape. And Tulip, the cat, and One-Eye venture into the contents and explore the memory of two students named Alric and Amelia. Yes. And they grew up and they got married, but tragedy struck when Alric died. And this led to Amelia fleeing and discovering the Infinity Train. And the cat helps Tulip figure out the conductor is actually Amelia, dun, 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 dun. Who, who has overthrown the real conductor, and that the cannons on the train can be used to help Atticus. Now, Tulip's number reaches zero, and that and means a portal opens that she can now escape through. But again, this is uh, the twist in the third act of every film. She realizes what she wants, is not what she needs and what she needs is to help her friend Atticus and so she does not leave the train and decides to buckle down and help Atticus yeah. she decides and this to is stay the lead for at least until she can cure Atticus yes yeah and this is the lead-in for the season finale and that's kind of the whole point of this episode it's the penultimate yeah it's um, the penultimate uh, but I do really especially in context of what we l later see it in the finale mm -hmm. um I really, and as well as some hints of stuff in book three and maybe book four, if we get it, question mark, please. Um, but I really love Amelia and Ulrich, uh, that whole backstory. Like they're, they're adorable together. I also love how Ulrich, so she, he, in the flashback, he uses the same voice modulator as uh, the conductor does. But in order to make it still sound like it does in the conductor because you know when you you know when you use different kinds of modulators you know it's going to sound different depending on who voices it they actually right. had lena hetty who voices amelia come in and also do those lines with Ooh. the modulator so it would sound right which yeah. i think is very cool 
Um, That's cool. I also really like the line that one one has during the uh, old flashback scene where he says, "He's like, Plato says love is a serious mental disease." <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I love yeah. one one's lines all over the place. Uh, like, there's one line I forget which episode it is, but he says, "You know, uh, I don't want to die," and he says, "Were you expecting never to die?" <laughs> oh yeah, that I think that. Funny. Yeah, I think that's episode two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, she decides to help Atticus and is able to connect the ball pit car to the cat's personal shuttle, allowing the cat to bring Tulip, her friends, and the portal to the engine at the front of the car, so they're able to skip past all the different, uh, other, uh, cars yes. to, in order to confront the conductor, or the fake conductor. Yes. And this leads us into episode 10. Uh, before that, the past car I think is a good penultimate episode. It's not one of my favorite episodes of the season, just because it's more lead-in for the finale. Yeah, but it's more lead-in for has the finale some and general series lore, but it's still good. Yeah. Yeah. So the tenth episode, the engine has starts with the cat bringing in the car with Tulip's group to the front of the train, and she leaves, and they're like, "Aren't you gonna stay with us?" And she's like, "No, I need to go do my own thing." And they're like, "Okay, I like you now, the cat." The cat. <laughs> so. Tulip and 1-1 drag the container with Atticus to the engine and confront Amelia, who is encased in her giant Robotnik robot body. Yeah. <laughs> she is basically operating a mech from the inside. And it is revealed that she has been trying to create her own car that could have Alric in it. Yeah. And what ties back to what you into... said into the theme of change being a good, like, you know, not resisting change she really needs to accept that Alric has died, and that ties into the main character Tulip's need to accept her parents' divorce. And this also, you know, her rebuilding the car also ties back into episode six with the unfinished car, because the unfinished car, if you look at a lot of, you know, the details, it's, again, the unfinished car is clearly one of Amelia's attempts at recreating her old life with Alric, because you see it's a lot of the same types of like college buildings mm -hmm. in uh in the background they actually designed a lot of it for episode nine first and then transplanted it into episode six so you yeah. know it would all yeah they kind of reverse engineered that as that so you know that i i really like that um and mm -hmm. the fight between amelia and tulip is great i like tulip she put she uh we we have Chekhov's donut holder like she pulls yes. the pipe out of the back, just like you carry a pipe in your backpack. It's a donut holer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And she uses the cannons and unleashes Atticus on the steward. Atticus being in his monster in his state. Dome form. So they, because they're trying to find a way to to turn him back. And right. One one points out like none of these orbs are corgis, so they they figure out you know they because they have a they have a gun that can change things to the state of whatever orb is inside yeah it. so she needs yeah. to find a corgi orb and mm -hmm. that's what leads her into the car that amelia's trying to make which still has turtles in it because amelia yes. can't even because you can't you can't even make a car without any turtles in it and <laughs> so yeah one one takes his place at the front as the real conductor, dun dun dun, and I think Tula this... finds an orb designed to create a corgi and places it in the cannon and successfully fires it at Atticus, changing him back, Yay! thank God, into King Atticus of the Penrose yeah, uh, and the Corgidians. Uniter of the uh, Cardigans and the Pembrokes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I so also, he... uh, I, I was talking about this earlier again with the unfinished car. I think 
one one being the conductor kind of ties back into why he was so upset because it's part of like his programming to want to make sure the train is functioning properly right so like that car being broken or like it's not supposed to be that way because you know amelia you know trying to force it you know one one instinctively knows this is wrong right yeah and one one was the original conductor and that what happened was amelia overthrew him and then one one escaped and that is when our hero found one one yes um so meanwhile one one takes his place at the front as the real conductor and he and atticus destroy the steward now tulip speaks with amelia whose number is so long it runs all the way up her arm and yeah it covers her, her body it covers her entire body which leads to the question of how long it would take for her to get down to zero again which i'm not sure is possible it's kind of questionable whether it yeah. is or it's not it's kind of ambiguous um but they don't they they don't they never do it explicitly but some of uh i uh themes of that nature are explored in book three so okay yeah so amelia whose number is too long uh she is persuaded to try and move on from alric's death now one one creates a new exit for tulip and there's this really emotional scene where Tulip has to say goodbye to, to one goodbye one to Atticus and, and to Atticus. I really like, and they and... talked about how the how in the and they talked about this in the commentary. I really like how Tulip is just saying nonsense. Like she can't even form the words to properly say how much this means to her. It's like yeah, well you and I didn't extend Atticus and I and and they just get it. That's a really yeah. nice moment. I really like that. Um, I like when one one asks for a hug. Yeah, hug first. <laughs> That's good. And she she leaves, and it's it's very emotional. And it's a great ending. And then Tulip heads to camp uh, with her parents, and she's made peace with her parents' divorce. And it's yeah, in the winter, it has and been, she's going out uh, to been, camp. Yeah, it's been seven months since she got off the train. Mm -hmm. um, canonically speaking, she actually gets off on April twenty second, twenty twenty. Although they admit um, it's a little weird that she got off the train in the middle of the pandemic, but eh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Don't also, worry about weren't it. Her, her parents like concerned that she wasn't there? Yeah, that's a that's weird. I wonder if they did they put out like a missing child case? Like there would be like a giant Amber Alert. And yeah, an investigation. Was, there have, yeah, there would have to be. I I'm very curious to see if they ever. And I don't know if they will ever do this, but if they ever explore Tulip's immediately getting off the train, what happened, like what her parents' reaction was, what they were doing in the time between. And, you know, one of the actual, you know, the big things, and this will probably be a recurring thing uh, in our Infinity Train episodes, but I'm very curious as to how the stuff from the train affects the real world. Because yeah. one thing we see, um, because she let Mirror Tulip uh, free, she doesn't have a reflection anymore. Like, she passes by a mirror and she doesn't have a reflection. So, like... She's she, a vampire. Yeah, I was gonna say, do people call her a vampire? Like, yeah. do, does she does she explain this? Do people believe her? Like, I feel like... I don't know. It's a very open question, and it's something I would like to see explored if they ever actually get to make more of the show, which if there is any justice in this world, they will. But mm, I don't know if there is justice in this world anymore. Because, like we said at the opening, it looks like the show got canceled. And now I'm very, and now I'm sad. <laughs> Anyways, Chris, what did you think of season one of Infinity Train? Every time I watch, in, I rewatch Infinity Train book one, I am, my, my being impressed of it is like renewed 
Because, like, books two and three do explore a lot of... They arguably explore, like, deeper themes, and they go more into the lore and stuff like that, especially book three. Um, but this... It's such a well-crafted, self-contained story, and the mystery unfolds really well, and the characters are all great. The dynamic between them all is great. I will say one thing I think book one has over books two and three. I think it still has the best companions of the series in Atticus and One. One, Not to say that the companions in books two and three aren't good. They are. But there's something about Atticus and One One that just, like, hits different for me. Mm-hmm. And I really relate to Tulip a lot. I'm I really like seeing you know the child of a of divorced parents. You know it's that nice representation. She's just she's a fun character, and uh, you know it's such a creative show. And yeah. explore you know we have, we effectively get to explore an entire different universe in every episode because every car is its own little pocket dimension and pocket universe. It's kind of Doctor Who-y in that way. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. And um, it's, I, I, it's one of my, like, Infinity Train has very quickly become, like, one of my all-time favorite shows, and I just love this world, I love these characters, and I think this is a really just, and even just on its own as one season, it's a really great self-contained little story, and you can kind of see why they initially promoted this as, like, just a miniseries because mm-hmm. uh when they announced season two it was actually a surprise because they were promoting it as like this five night event and then like at the end of the engine they have this little they played this little teaser or one one is like i'm back as the conductor and they were like infinity train will return and everyone was kind of surprised like oh my god they're getting a season two um yeah but yeah you could sort of see why they initially went with the miniseries angle um or at least in marketing because it works it works as just this one story yeah, yeah, I think Infinity Train Season 1 is fantastic. It's creative, even though I was misled. You said, Brian, you'll like Infinity Train. Watch Infinity Train. And I'm like, all right, it's a cartoon. It's not going to have serious themes, probably. <laughs> it's not going to be another She-Ra or Steven I never, I never implied that it would not have serious themes. For the- okay. <laughs> yeah. But I thought it would be like the other one that you recommended me, uh, the Disney one. Um, oh, oh, you thought it would be more like the Owl House. Oh, I thought it'd be more like the Owl House. Oh. So I was surprised by how oh. dark this was and how almost like not kid friendly it is. Yeah, uh, it's very deliberately much more going for a teen to young adult market. Yeah, which I appreciate and, uh, because that's an untapped area of the animation market. Uh. I really loved it. I think the animation's fantastic. The characters are incredibly well written. I like that they reference the song Cameo. Yes, but they, it's they the song Word Up by Cameo. Oh, That's fantastic. Oh, I forgot one detail of that story that I really love is that mm-hmm. in order to get the rights to Word Up, they actually like wrote a letter to Cameo. It was like, oh, <laughs> "Dear Cameo, we like your song. Can we put it in our show, please?" <laughs> And did he say yes? Yes, he did. Well, he obviously he did, because they put it in the show. (laughs) So yeah, it's one of the best new animated shows out right now, and you should all watch it. It's fantastic. And the writing is amazing. It's on HBO Max. It's only about, like, an hour long if you watch all of it. It's about, like, the one season will take you probably less than two hours. Like So watch it. Yeah. Go, Go watch it. Stream it on HBO Max, so then... Maybe Cartoon Network and HBO Max will reverse their stupid decision and we can actually get the full planned instead of, oh, maybe we'll get book four, but maybe not. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah I do hope that there is a season four. I um, absolutely. So yeah, th- that's all my thoughts. I love the its exploration of family and divorce and themes of change and empathy. I think it's all incredibly well done, and I think Infinity Train is probably going to end up as a classic. Definitely. In my opinion. Um, but yeah. So, what are we doing next week, Chris? Alright, so, next week, um, we will be going back to Infinity Train. We'll be doing book two in two weeks. Um, next week, however, is another uh, roulette episode. Yes. Um, where we'll be doing the 1978? Uh, yeah, 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think that's the one with Leonard Nimoy. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which, yeah, that's a that's a movie that exists. And now for something completely different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Ooh. So yeah, this has been the yeah, hipster. This has been hipster and the nerd. We do this and every, the nerd. We do this every week. You can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whole bunch of other platforms. Uh, please. Leave us a nice uh, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, spread the word on social media. Share with all your friends. Hashtag hipster and the nerd. Help us grow the show. We very much appreciate it. Uh, I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Uh, and Brian, where can they find you? They can find me in your local ball pit, protesting the lack of adult ball pits in the area of the Pennsylvania, Delaware County area. But no, you could actually find me on Twitter at Brian Brecker, or you could find me on Letterboxd at bbreck2. And I've been watching a lot of Japanese movies, so watch out. Uh, So yeah. So yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. Hashtag save Infinity Train, and we will see you next time.